Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. We are recording this the day before July 4th. Yeah. So you are probably listening to this either right before you go watch some fireworks or the day after. Maybe you're driving back home from wherever you celebrated. So happy 4th yes. of July, everyone. Happy birthday, You are, birthday, to, you are doing like some sort of tank, tank chase or you are enjoying... The sweet streets of Tacoma Park's 4th of July parade. Are there going to be tanks in the Tacoma Park 4th of July parade? (laughs) No. (laughs) Here's what you can expect to see. Congressman Raskin in a seersucker suit, right? Organic candy being thrown out, right? Richard knows he's from Tacoma Park. He gets it. Um, you might see, you're going to see Richard there. You will see me there. Um, you will, I well, not in the parade. You see like different like pool clubs and nursery schools have their own little like groups that walked. I mean, it's really like a small town experience. You have like whimsical floats. You have people on horseback. You have um, like the vet will have like a wacky one with like doesn't the one with like dogs dressed up like there's like it's really like a small town it's like a small town parade meets like um I I don't know what like Mardi Gras I need to find maybe I should come up to TKPK because I need to find an opportunity to dress Wally in just like an unbelievable amount of Americana and just walk down a street yeah and I feel like DC is not I mean I'll probably Dress him up anyways. His first 4th of July as oh, yes. an American resident. <laughs> um, well, it's good because you have a little space to spread out. So it's not like you're going to the mall where I'm yeah, assuming yeah, yeah. you're just, it's just wall to wall people. No, wall no. to wall people, maybe too much for Wally. Well, and I don't want to take him out during fireworks anyways because no, he's not a big much. fan of thunder. And no. so I already know he's going to be no, no. a this stress case. like ch- tiny children, people in lawn chairs, space to move around. I'm feeling in a very Americana mode, not just because it's July 4th and not just because in the World Cup, we dominated England this week, which just felt so appropriate. But I also was at I I visited the Greenbrier for the first time, Mm. which just feels like the most America plus I'm in a time machine thing I had ever experienced. Is that the one in West Virginia? It is. Mm. It is It is called, it is America's Resort. It, <laughs> oh, is it now? <laughs> it has wallpaper game that is so strong. Yes. It is I mean, where people go for big retreats. So you go like to Lansdowne, you can go to... There's like the homestead that's out there, yes, but the, the, the Greenbrier was the very Greenbrier. like... I felt like this is where Don and Betty Draper went on vacation <laughs> with their kids when they wanted to go to the mountains before they got divorced and it all got horrible in Mad Men. Like, for sure, that's what this feels like. Um, so I'm in a very, like, Americana mode right now. I'm just I'm very in the right mindset for the 4th of July. Oh, well, that's good. Well, yeah. if you want something that's sort of not Americana, but like a good kind of digression, I was listening to over the weekend, the podcast, The Shrink Next Door. This is a complete non sequitur. It was really good. So it's about Joan O'Sara, who used to work for, he used to be a columnist for the New York Times, happened to live next door to somebody who he thought was the maintenance man for this giant house in the Hamptons. But it turned out he was the owner. But the guy who threw the big fancy Gatsby style parties was was the, the quote-unquote maintenance man's shrink and like they had a really bizarre relationship for 30 years anyway it's uh it is very 
It's cool. It was good. It's like I was one of those binge podcasts that I... You had me at fancy Gatsby-esque right. party. Exactly. Like lots of like grin and grip photos, all of that. The right. whole thing. You've, you've, you've got me. <laughs> um, so before we dive into the polls, I have like a polling methodology related... Uh, Actually, it's really only tangentially related to polling. But it was when I walked into the studio today, I'm in like torn jeans, flip flops. Richard and Margie commented that I looked relaxed. Yes. And I said, I'm, this is not relaxed. This is late lunch food coma. Sure. Because I made poor choices. And these choices actually are analogous to something that a pollster must deal with when they are putting together a survey mm-hmm. where you offer people like 15 different options and you can like let's take a question what do you think what which of the following would you consider to be an american value now there are a couple ways you could ask that question right. you know give a list of like 15 things freedom awesomeness fireworks tolerance right. whatever's on your right. list popsicles whatever's on your list right. And you say, uh, you can either say, like, pick the one that you think is the most. But that might be of limited utility because you're forcing people to choose one and they might like a lot. You could say, choose the two or three or three or four that most represent American values to you. And then you're forcing people to narrow in a little bit. Or you could say, whichever of these you think are American values, choose whichever ones. And then you walk away knowing... 75% 75% of people think that freedom is an American value. 40% of people think popsicles are an American value, whatever that is. Yes. But so different amounts of things people are allowed to choose mm-hmm. affect the information you have as a pollster. Right. So at Rice Bar, downstairs <laughs> in the building where we are taping this podcast, yes. you can create, it's a Chipotle-esque style. Right. You pick your base, you pick your protein, you pick- This is all the rage your now. Your toppings, you yes. pick your sauces. Yes. So- They offer a largely closed-ended situation for most of the process. Mm -hmm. You choose one base. You choose one protein. You choose four toppings, right? That's fine. I like having these limits and constraints. The problem is when you get to the sauces. I love a good pan-Asian sauce. Sure. And they have all of them. Soy sauce, teriyaki sauce, peanut sauce. Uh, fermented chili sauce, Mm -hmm. chili oil. They've got all of them. Right. So you choose one on your little check sheet. Filling out a survey. I choose the peanut sauce, whatever. I get my thing. The problem is there is then a sauce bar that you can access Mm. where suddenly you go from having to choose one to it being this check any box on this sauce survey that you And you're like, like, I want all six brown sauces. And I put all of them on different corners of my rice bowl. Uh. But then by the end, it's just... It's like poor, cho- poor choices sauce. were made, and I really should have been forced to choose which two or three of these sauces is the most appealing Right, you to needed you. the sauce edit. I needed constraints. Mm. So I need them to take away my access to the <laughs> sauce bar because I, this is not relaxed. You need to have like a really this strict like, series of oh qualifying God. polls to decide whether or not you were going to make it to the top I sauce just had, for Kristen. I just had like 50% rice, 50% sauces. <laughs> they're that all does, delicious. That sounds relaxing. Why are you not relaxed? I think it's a food coma though. I think it's a food coma. So uh, anyhow. Only Chris would be like, I didn't. I had too little rice, and now I'm in a food coma. <laughs> I needed more chili oil. Anyhow, I'm sure you all were enthralled by my lunch story, but it had a vague kind yes. of tangential connection to polling. Yes. 
and uh, how do people make choices? So what is what are we talking about today? Besides sauces and tanks, yes. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about 2020. The first debates have happened. So all of our cautioning about, it's so early, let's wait for the first debates to happen. Well, it's happened. So we're going to talk a little 2020. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on down at the border and how people are responding to these genuinely horrific photos and reports coming out from what is happening in these detention centers. Uh, we'll talk about people's views on the tanks that may or may not be rolling down the mall uh, on the 4th of July, how people feel about that celebration. And then we'll cap it off with a discussion of that most crucial of American values, popsicles. Yes. And I think burgers and stuff are in that whole too. I'm just really focused on the popsicles. I mean, okay. I know there's other things. Because I have hot that. takes on burgers that oh. people don't want to hear. But I'm okay. <gasps> I'm cool. Yes. I'm cool yes. with burgers. I'm hot cool takes, with popsicles. Hot <laughs> takes. Hot takes. Okay. Flaming hot takes. Okay. But first, let's talk about Trump's approval rating. It's it's the same. It's basically the same. It's not that not that interesting. I mean, it's like a, a breaking wee, news. A wee scotch. We scotch down from last week, which is not a scientific term, nor is something that I think we as thoughtful survey methodologists should be saying. I mean, it's probably fallen less than a point. I mean, he's still 40, he's 43.7 approve, 52.3 disapprove. This is the average according to RCP. That has not really changed. That's the same. I mean, he has a kind of narrow band of variation here. It's been even narrower recently. Like if you look at the last like two months, it's even kind of narrower than it's been kind of in toto. So that's interesting. Um, You know, I don't know. Is it because or despite has he achieved some sort of equilibrium and the things that people like and dislike about him? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's that's where he is. He continues to be there. Yeah, I also thought it was fascinating. I mean, we were so we were out in the Aspen Ideas yes. Festival last week. We did a panel the night before the debates, and then I was there for the very first right. debate night, and I was struck by the extent to which. People didn't talk about Trump. People didn't talk about Trump. They did more in the second one. They did more in the second one where I was in the middle of moderating a focus group Mm. where the video and audio were lost by the facility. This is an extended. How did your approval rating of the facility? I am turn a after that rage monster about <laughs> this. But anyone who does qualitative research listening to this podcast will understand my so like bad. white hot fury when they were like, "Oh, J.K., we don't have." Because now I have no transcripts. Did you have it's anyone in the, the focus group? Did you have someone doing like full notes? Oh, sure. I mean, I ha- I have my notes. Well, we have worksheets, but yeah. but not the, everybody. You know, and you don't always have like someone b- back there doing notes. No, Sometimes I have to go back and yeah. redo the group next uh, week it like i did not want to get whatever uh, I, I digress let's get back to the topic at hand shall uh, we that, so that's happened whoo. to everybody but it is i mean it's <laughs> i mean have a backup people like that is the that is like the number two job of a facility like getting people there you need to get people who are there but things happen there's snow or people get sick or there's bad luck or whatever that is somewhat out of their control there's someone out you of their control you know it's not out of their control the video the recording <laughs> equipment sorry yes why not raid that that you uh, have you are able to do it is in your power to do that so every time. this is a new echelon policy is we have some of these like little um handheld recorders right. like a journalist might have like the kind we use in Old ye olden times of the, the pollsters. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think like it is going to be our new policy Pre- to just Richard have whoever B- is B- in the F- back room B- like R- F- set one of those to yeah. like 
to just roll. Yeah. And it'll capture all the backroom chit chat and clients, you know, snarking about the people looking in the mirror, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be something. Yeah. It'll be something which is better than nothing, which is what I have. <laughs> oh, gosh. Fly you across have, the country. You have extra, ah. extra airline miles, maybe? No. Okay. All right. Let's keep going. Um, it's fine. It's so fine. we're going to take a break. <laughs> Kristen is going to do some healing breaths. <laughs> then we're going to come back and talk about the Democratic debates. <laughs> Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. Okay, so we're back. <laughs> there were some debates last week. There were. So there are a variety of polls. And because of the holiday, I think lots of people, lots of outlets were rushing to get their post-debate polls out yesterday and today. We're recording this on Wednesday. So there have been a flurry of polls that I think maybe if there was no holiday, there you know you would see some more polls out. Thursday, you might see a little bit more spread out, but people were in a rush to get all their polls out before the holiday, before you couldn't call anymore, before the news coverage would move on to something else. So there's a real high concentration of polling that's come out. And I think they show, you know, it's hard to know with some of these from looking at the public polling alone is are they are people responding to the viewers you know watching the debates and what their reactions were or what the coverage interpreted the debates for them but they show i think a pretty consistent pattern for the most part which is Kamala Harris was seen as one of the winners Warren also had some advantages Sanders and Biden you know had lost some ground that's not equally true in every poll. It depends a little bit on how you ask it. The Washington Post poll, I think, was a little bit better for Sanders than some of the other polls. But the other polls showed, you know, there was a clear sense, I think, in the aggregate that Biden and Sanders lost a little bit of ground. I think there were some people online who said, well, you shouldn't have polled over the weekend right before a holiday. But looking at all the aggregate numbers, I thought that that seemed to be a clear sense of what people's perceptions were that, you know, Kamala Harris, whether you're looking at the CNN poll or there was a USA Today Suffolk poll that it was in Iowa. Um, there was Washington Post ABC poll and there was uh, the Reuters poll, which I don't know if the Reuters poll asked about who won, but we can double check. Um, but there was a, you know, that was the clear sense from the data. What do you think when you look at all this? Yeah. So the, I, I remember, so at the Aspen Ideas Festival, I was part of the debate watch for that first night. Right. And my sort of commentary afterwards was the things that are going to make waves are when people kind of take swings at each other, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be mean or nasty or personal, but conflict creates sparks, which creates moments, which are the things that the people who are not watching the debate in real time are likely to see the next day for better or worse. So for instance, you know, Beto getting kind of beat up on by people like that's something like Beto right. may drop. And it's not it's that's going to be the thing that people see of of Beto. Right. So if you look and I actually don't know exactly which poll this is. It's the one where um, but they ask, first of all, did you watch all or most of both debates? Did you watch one of the debates? Did you, 
not watch much of either debate, but you paid attention to the news stories. You know, a majority of Democrats uh, and Democratic leaning independents, CNN, the CNN poll, a majority of them, 57 percent said they either didn't watch it and didn't care about the news stories or they didn't watch it and they but they they consumed some news afterwards but you really only had like 39% of democratic respondents saying that they had watched that Thursday night debate and sure enough if you didn't watch it what's the one thing you saw the moment where someone took a swing where Kamala Harris really put Joe Biden on the ropes over his position on busing from from decades ago and sort of his very weak defense of why he held or does hold or like that was the moment where when I came out of moderating my focus group and I was like, hey, guys, what happened? They're like, oh, man, you got to see this clip. And that's kind of how I assume an awful lot of people are consuming these debates. The question is, how much does this stick? So in the CNN poll, you know, 41 percent saying Kamala Harris did the best job in the debates. If you were someone who were registered to vote and paid close attention to one or both, you got asked this question. Followed distantly by Elizabeth Warren, but it's that like moment of like it's the moment of conflict that has everybody, you know, fired up right now. That doesn't mean that it can't stick, but it doesn't suddenly mean you're the front runner. I mean, recall there were moments during the Republican debates where like Chris Christie just destroyed Marco Rubio, like just nuked him from orbit. But like Chris Christie didn't wind up going on to win the nomination, you know, so sometimes I think these the viral moments that come out of the debates, they may very temporarily shift things. But that's not the same as like long term is the race truly realigned. And also the top tier of candidates is still basically the same top tier. You still have kind of the same top four or five. Well, so I I agree with all that. Obviously, this is, you know, these are moments in time and they can change and there are, you know, 50 million things that are going to happen. Obviously, we have more debates coming, et cetera, et cetera, before people start voting. Um, But just as a counterpoint, though, just to think about it, which is there were moments of conflict that didn't really seem to scramble the race, you know, and maybe it's because Harris had more attention. I mean, you had Ryan and Gabbard, Tulsi and Tim Ryan, you know, have a confrontation that doesn't seem to have changed the race particularly in some real appreciable way for them and maybe that's because of where they were relative to where Harris was I don't or maybe it's a different dynamic of the first debate versus the second debate you know I I don't know I don't know the answer to that but that's just just something to think about there was I thought this was in Huffington Post uh, YouGov poll they had open ends where they asked people let me find them where are they they had um Like, what did you think? Why did you think Warren or Harris in particular? What did you like about the job that they did? And you see the ones from Harris looks, I mean, it looks like, I mean, people who really saw, watched the debate. I mean, the other thing, too, is how much are people responding to the debate performance themselves as opposed to some kind of pre-existing notion of the candidates, right? So for Harris, like, she remained calm and she calmed the stage in a sea of hollering men. That's what one, I mean, that's a response to something they saw, right? I, you know, I think she's a warrior. She demonstrated she is, you know, able to communicate powerfully, right? Those are some open ends. And for uh, Warren, somebody said she's brilliant. You know, people talk about how she has a plan. You know, some of them are responding to her specific debate performance. Some of them, I think, are responding to her, perhaps what they thought about her previously. She's she's brilliant. She's got a plan. She has plans instead of just talking points. I mean, are they responding to her debate performance or She's got a plan for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I remain convinced, even though I did not see the Thursday night debate, I've just seen the clips afterwards, 
Um, I And I believe I said it on this show. I definitely said it in Echelon Slack. I believe that before all is said and done, Marianne Williamson's going to get oh, you have said to on- 4 to 5%. Somewhere in there. It's going to happen. I She's going to have a Herman was- Cain moment. It's going to happen. I'm in favor of people, you know, loosening up. (laughs) Loosening up is good. That's fine. But there are some moments where I could not believe it. Did you see the clip where she was talking about the New Zealand prime minister? And she's like, and I would tell her, girlfriend, it is on. It's like, what is happening? I think one of my favorite memes as of the last 24 hours is, I guess it was like Vogue or someone did like a photo shoot with like the five women running for president, except there are six women running for president and one of them is Marianne Williamson and she's not included. And so the meme is basically taking this like, you know, Avengers assemble like high five and picture of like Tulsi Gabbard and Kirsten Gillibrand. And then it like photoshops it inside a crystal ball that's in <laughs> or like a snow globe in Marion Williams's hand. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Has someone like matched um, up the meme of Ivanka like photobombing big events and <laughs> Marion Williamson like being like crashing the, you know, power photo of the women candidates? I just, I am. So David Byler of the Washington Post, who is one of my favorite writers about these things, he actually wrote a column sort of laying out the case, laying out more extensively the reasons why I believe that at some point in this game, Marianne Williamson's going to hit four to five percent. Marianne Williamson retweets it. She like quote tweeted it was like, I agree with everything here except for the assertion that I can't actually win. (laughs) Chef's kiss. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. David Byler, you're an American treasure. I mean, yeah. No, look, it's it's. You know, good to hear from different perspectives. I appreciate people who are not taking themselves, you know, too seriously. On the other hand, this is very serious. We have serious times. We have a serious thing. I, I mean, the collection of what is, of whatever tweets, like a whole series of tweets, and there were like multiple ones about Avatar. <laughs> Someone was like, Mary Williamson really likes Avatar people. Because <laughs> like, there were multiple like tweets where she was like, Avatar is really, you know, powerful. Yep. Totem to help us through these times or whatever it was. So... So about who will be in the next debates. Yes. So that's not obviously that the final closing time for that is not yet. Right. So there's the final debates are at the end of the month um, and you can qualify through polling or uh, donations through donors, the number of donors up until about two weeks before um, the debates are set, before the debates are held. And there have been some new polls. All these new polls that have come out have changed up and a rule clarification have changed up a little bit of the dynamic. And um, as of right now, the, their, Steve Bullock, who we're working for, is ahead of uh, Congressman Swalwell for the 20th slot. Now, that may change not just for Swalwell and Bullock, but for other folks or a variety of other folks who are, you know, also seeking to be on the debate stage. Um, but what's interesting, I think, for you know polling fans, a couple things that are people who've been following this closely. One is there's been a rule clarification about how to take into account a Suffolk poll that has presents data in two ways. One with the um, with the numbers rounded to whole numbers, the percentages rounded to whole numbers, and one with the percentages carried to hundredths. And when 
you round it up to whole numbers, then that changes. You know, you have people, you know, like Bullock, who's at 0.52 in one of the polls. So that's rounded up to one. So that clarification about how that counts makes a difference in how many polls count toward his overall qualification number. And then there's been a new poll out by uh, Reuters today that has um, uh, uh, Bullock at 1%. Also, that that changes the number of polls that he has. Um, but then one other thing, too, just for folks who were following the story from a couple weeks ago, the Washington Post ABC poll that had an open-ended question that did not, you know, that initially counted, then didn't count toward um, toward qualifying. They released a new poll where they now have both. They have an open end, and now they have a new closed-ended question. So that doesn't change, you know, any specific candidate's qualification, but it does show just how the questions are being integrated and the way different outlets are approaching, how they ask questions, how they show questions as part of this conversation. So folks can dig into that. Zach at Politico, he writes about this pretty regularly. There are other folks too, but he is like on the case of what's happening there. That's some interesting. Also not quite related to qualifying, but still for folks who are following all of this is what Nate Cohn at uh, New York Times at the Upshot wrote today about online polling and the difference between online polling and Live call polling, and he talks about YouGov and YouGov, which is part of some qualifying polls, like their relationship with CBS, not part of other, not part of other qualifying polls, like The Economist. But he talks about the YouGov panel being panel I from the Pew study from many years ago. That the most amazing polling conference drama yes. reveal ever. Yes. Uh. Yes. I remember it like Polling it was sample I. Yes. So anyway, he didn't yesterday. say polling sample I, but I think he did refer to that thing. He did refer to that study, but he wasn't like, sample I. But anyway, it's, I'm amazed that like we even remember what the, the letter. That was it, right? It was I, wasn't it? Sample I. I'm amazed that like, <laughs> I remember, why do I remember the I? Why do I need to remember the I? Anyway. <laughs> Our brains store the strangest information. So like. There's surely something that that's pushing out that I need more. Yep. I mean, so like total side note, and this will no take offense. 15 Second. people but when there's gotta I be something checked else in at the Greenbrier this past weekend though they gave me a room number and like as I'm walking to my room I was just like why do I why is this this number is like very significant to me but I don't know why and it was like the four digit number that was the house I lived in when I was like three Ooh. and four years old and so I texted my dad and I'm like did we ever live at blah 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 this address and he was like yeah, wait, actually, I think it's called something else. Nope, just looked it up at the, that, that was our address. And I'm like, great. I remember the address I lived in when I was huh. not conscious, but I don't remember where my keys are. I yeah. can't find my keys, but I know where I lived in 1987. Great. Yes, the great. brain is a magical thing. I mean, what I'm always amazed at, which is why do I always remember what room number I'm in, no matter how many hotels I'm staying in? In a given week or two week stretch, I'm always like, yep, I'm 306 today. That, no problem. Like, I'm every time. Ask me where my like valet ticket is or my parking ticket is from or my coat check ticket from like two hours ago. No, nope. could be anywhere. No, nope. <laughs> I think I'm, I threw it in the drain. I have no idea. Surely we have better technology than the little paper ate, tickets. Right? It. I have no idea. It could be literally anywhere. <laughs> as soon as I added it to you, you stuffed it in your mouth. Now no one will ever get my car. Ha ha. <laughs> yes. Fooled you, thieves. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But oh. hotel room, always remember. Anyway, sample I. I guess I'll always remember that, too, for some reason. The only other thing I've got on 2020, by the way, is so we had a couple polls all come out that were like, oh, no, Joe Biden is sliding. Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren are surging. The race is getting shaken up. 
blah blah blah. And then the Washington Post ABC right. poll came out, which kind of poured a little bit of cold water on that. Sort of affirmed Joe Biden as a as a front runner still, right? Uh, which is a little different than some of the other polls that had shown him kind of slipping. So we would, I just think we should point out that they're not all of the polls are singing exactly the same tune. Yep. They tend to have the same top five: Sanders, Warren, Harris, Biden, Buttigieg. Which we should point out how I, I maybe I can say this from the Republican side, but like the fact that Pete Buttigieg is in the top five of this enormous field, and he's like my age and was the mayor of a town in Indi- I mean South Bend's bigger than just a, whatever. It is like that's impressive. That's impressive. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. So yeah, Joe Biden. He. Is at well, that's the closed-ended question. It's the first time they've asked a closed-ended question. So he's at 29 in the closed-ended question. Sanders at 23. I mean, the Sanders people, I think, felt particularly vindicated from because he had been down, and people were already like, "Yep, we've decided how that how that's going." And so I think they feel, you know, I think it's, I, you know, at least I could tell from Twitter, which is obviously real life. Um, and then the open end, if which you could track more because they've asked that now for a while, has Biden at 28. If you look at Reg voters with leaners and. That compares him to 17 in April and nine in January. And so that there's more movement there because, you know, he announced within that time period and, you know, people are paying more attention. It's an open end, you know, so it's a, it's a little bit you're, you're comparing, you know, the percent that have no opinions gone down. But I should just put it that way. So it was like half, almost half undecided. And now, you know, 17 percent undecided. Although the, a lot of the polls, not this one, but others like. Just about a quarter say, my mind's made up. Everybody else is like, yeah, I could I could change my mind, you know, or, or I don't know if I could change my mind, which I think sounds like you could change your mind. So this is not over. Not by a long shot. Definitely not. No, we just have one set of debates. We have more to come. When, the next ones are coming up toward the end of July, right? Yes. July in there in Detroit? Yes. They're 30th and 31st. All right. CNN, Detroit. Well, we got a little ways to go until then. I'm sure it will stay interesting. Yeah. Okay. So now we'll take another break and we'll come back and talk about some other polling. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups, it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. So we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the crisis on the border, which 
I can now say is a crisis on the border, and that is not a partisan statement. Um, According to that new polling from CNN SSRS, um, back in January, around the time that the president was sort of toying around with the idea of, okay, I'm going to end the government shutdown, but I'm going to declare a national emergency and divert some funding toward building a wall along the border. People were asked back then, do you think there is a crisis at the border? And back then, it was a very partisan response. Right. 71% of Republicans said, yes, there's a crisis at the border. But only 23% of Democrats said that they viewed the situation at the border as a crisis. Those numbers have all converged. Republicans now at 82% say there's a crisis at the border. Com- uh, compared to 72% of independents and 70% of Democrats. There is a great deal of unity on the fact that there is a crisis at the border, though that is where a what lot it, of the unity ends. What exactly is the crisis at the border? Right. Um, what is the crisis? And so the question is, one, thinking about the current situation at the border between the U.S. and Mexico, do you consider the situation at the border to be a crisis or not? Back in January... The country was split, 45-52, yes, no. Uh, Again, along those partisan lines I just mentioned, nowadays 74% overall say, yes, it is a crisis. Then they say, among those who say it is a crisis, do you consider it a crisis more because of the way migrants attempting to cross the border are being treated? Or is it more because of the number of migrants who are attempting to cross the border? Because... There are two different ways you can see, or I mean, you could also say both equally as 9% of Americans do, Um, but you have people pretty split. 43% say it's about the treatment of those coming across the border. 46% say they view it as a crisis because of the number of migrants who are attempting to cross the border. You know, I was saying this a lot last week. I'm glad there's some public polling on this. I was saying like, look, we have like a thousand questions about like, you know, do you think Democrats should be reaching out to independents? We have all these, you know, public polling things about the like gamesmanship of the 2020 election, and we don't have any polling about what's happening at the border or the way we're, you know, ripping children away from their families and not giving them soap or toothpaste and, you know, these things that are just really, you know, really horrific and, and show, you know, cruelty and incompetence from the administration. So, you know, I'm glad to see that this is CNN, that CNN asked some questions about this. I mean, it just begins to scratch the surface. Um, you know, to me, I want to see, I want to, I want people to confront and see what's happening and respond to it. Like this is responding to, you know, what you are hearing about. Like I, to me, this is so, this is such a big issue. Like I just find it so horrific and I don't know how people would respond if they saw more about it or heard more about it. It's like, it's hard to take. It's hard for me to consume it and consume the news. Cause I just find it so troubling to think about these little kids. Um, so I, I want to take, you know, the numbers for a grain of salt and the fact that there's a huge partisan divide and just, uh, you know, I'm going to assume it's from different levels of news consumption, not like an agreement. Like, yes, I saw that Justice Department lawyers say that they don't, really, you know, kids don't really need toothpaste. And I thought that was great. You know, they don't need soap. And I thought, A-OK. Like, I just am going to assume that they're not fully hearing. They're in like a news bubble, not really hearing about it. Um, nonetheless, though, of you know, unsurprisingly, there's a big partisan difference in how we view the treatment of migrants. So 62% say they disapprove of the treatment. Um, Democrats are near unanimous. 93% disapprove. A majority of independents disapprove at 60%. But most Republicans, 62% say they approve. Um, You know, what specifically are they approving? If you were, this is one of those things where you would want to ask in a focus group, like, well, what specifically have you heard that you thought was good? 
when you say approve, what are you referring to? What about this? Would you approve or disapprove this? So that's how I view this. But I get a little I get a little upset when I think about well, this. I also think one thing that I have not yet seen polling on and would be interested in. And again, it's always hard when you ask poll ask polling questions where you're kind of asking people like, how would you solve this enormously complex problem right. that policymakers ca- cannot seem to solve? But I would be interested in knowing, sure. okay, when people arrive here at the southern border and they are claiming asylum, let's say they're coming through at a port of entry and they're doing everything right. How should they what should be done in that situation? Should they be allowed to just, okay, enter and go do your thing and we'll see you back here in court in two weeks? Should they be put in a detention facility? Should they be put in a detention facility, but you just like that facility to be nicer and treat people better than you think mm-hmm. they're... I mean, I would be interested in knowing, since we, since obviously there is a significant portion of people that think there's a crisis, and it's not just about the treatment of the migrants, but it's the fact that so many are coming. Right. What do people think is the right solution to that piece of the crisis as well. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the solution to the they're being treated poorly is either improve the conditions at the facilities or don't keep people in the facilities at all and and say, okay, when you come back for your hearing, you know, go go take care of yourself and we'll see you back here for the time of your hearing, which has all sorts of other implications about how would these people be cared for. But uh, nonetheless, I'm interested in what do people think the government ought to be doing when folks arrive. Right. I mean, uh, you know, it's my understanding that part of it is, you know, and obviously we are not immigration policy experts, but my understanding is part of it is like there it is now harder for people who might sponsor kids and be a sponsor for a child migrant to step forward and say, you know, I'm here to sponsor because they're making that process more difficult at the same time as that there's an influx of folks. And so that's adding to the sense that there are not to the sense, but the reality mm-hmm. that there are more kids in detention. And then there's also, you know, a lawsuit that had set the standard of how kids in detention should be treated. And it doesn't really seem like, we, you know, the definition of what, like, safe and sanitary means, for example, is not being, you know, interpreted with any sort of consistency. So so there's all of that. Um, they did ask a question, but the, when you see these kind of big numbers, it means that the question probably needed a little bit more specificity, which is, uh, in dealing with immigrants already living in the U.S. So this isn't detention. This is just more broadly. What should be the government's top priority? De- deporting all people living in the U.S. Le- illegally or developing a plan to allow some people living in the U.S. illegally to become legal residents? 80% agree with developing a plan. You know, the 15%, I mean, that's kind of what Trump has been saying. Trump is like, we're going to ha- we're gonna start, you know, having raids. Oh, I'm, I've decided again, I'm pushing back the raids. But he's He's more in that kind of 15 percent range than in that 80 percent range in terms of, you know, some of the language that he's been using. But developing a plan is obviously a big bucket of things on which people disagree. (laughs) So when you see numbers like that, I know that that means that, you know, lots of people are like, well, you know, we just need a plan. You know, why don't we have a plan? Lots of people, you know. George W. Bush had some plans. I mean, people have plans, right? So it obviously depends on what the plan is. Um, in but- the words of the great, was it Mike Tyson? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Is that Mike Tyson? I don't know. I'm going to Google that real quick. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, Mike Tyson. You can keep going with your plan if you get punched elsewhere in your face. Not the mouth. <laughs> but the mouth, then you're like, I have no plan anymore. Plan gone. <laughs> Um, yes, that's where I do all my best communicating. Um, so, yes, yeah, so and, and 
this poll doesn't have all the kind of detailed policy stuff of some other polls that we've seen or that we've even you know discussed ourselves, um, where there is a lot of bipartisan agreement on all kinds of different plan, you know, things that we could do, a path to citizenship, and you know, uh, encouraging people to you know get right with the law and pay taxes and all, all those kinds of things. Like those, you know, th- those are things that people support across party lines. That's not what's in this poll, but and that's different from what do you do with you know, kids who've been in detention for weeks and don't have mm-hmm. soap or their parents. Um, anyway, hopefully there'll be some more outlets that will cover some of that because I'm interested in seeing what people think. Um, okay. Should we talk about some more celebrations? Yes, let's do so. Do we want to talk about this pride thing? I'm, kind of, I'm pretty fascinated by I it. I am interested in it. It's the end of pride and Gallup had a number. I've not seen a poll on this before. But I guess they've asked it before, but I I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. So in this poll, well, Gallup, first of all, says that they have done sort of all-encompassing survey research asking people to identify for themselves, are they lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, et cetera, you know, asking people to identify. And their estimate in 2017 was that 4.5 percent of Americans are members of the LGBT community. That sounds right. I think I used to think it was closer to 10, but they, their estimates, Gallup thinks it's 4.5. My estimate of 10 would have been closer than what most people's estimates are. This is really interesting. So Gallup then asked in May, right before Pride Month, they asked people, what percentage of Americans today would you say are gay or lesbian? Uh, and tw- the mean response was 23.6, that m- Americans believe that one out of four, almost, are part of the LGBT community. That's like that's kind of wild to me. That is, I mean, it's like five times, five to six times higher than the five times higher than the actual answer. And it is not really that different from where it was in 2011. So I don't mm-hmm. know how far back they asked this question. I'm assuming that this number was lower at some you point. You know, they said that in 2002, Gallup asked oh, Americans to estimate the proportion of men and on. women who are gay and lesbian respectively, and the results were nearly identical, estimating 21% of men and 22% wow. of women were gay. So, so it, this is... People have had in their minds for quite some time that a fifth to a quarter of America is part of the LGBT community. So are people, I mean, I guess, I mean, we don't know what that comes from. Is that coming from like we have we have a lot of conversations about LGBT issues and so people make the assumption that these numbers are higher or are they just, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like a high estimate. It seems like. For, you know, do all these folks think, yes, 20, a quarter of the people I know are openly gay, and so I'm going to assume that? Or are they thinking, I hear a lot about these issues, so the number must be really high? Well, they they then ask the question, um, and they, they break it out by subgroup, and it shows that younger people are more likely to, to estimate on the high end. Right, because the think, folks are more likely to be out when they're younger. Right. So they think that's that explains the age difference. Sure. But also, men versus women, there's a really big gap. Women are almost, have twice as high of an estimate compared to men of this. Mm. So whether it's that maybe women just more people have come out to them personally or what have you, it's that as to me is a really fascinating divide. Hmm. Well, that is super. I mean, there are, I mean, they have it broken out by different percentiles so you could see and like a third in these various years think that, you know, more than 25%. 
Yep. I mean, I wonder how high it goes. I mean, there must be people who like. I wonder. I would love a cross tab of people who are in the LGBT community. Mm. Is their estimate higher or lower? That would be fascinating to know. Is is there a divide along those lines? But right, or are they like, nope? I know it's four percent. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, I am fully aware that it's four <laughs> percent. But that is, I think, a f- an interesting little way for us to close out Pride Month with yes. with some data. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. That's good. Um, okay, so. Speaking of pride, yes, Gallup also asked people, different kind of pride, how proud are you to be an American? Are you extremely proud, very proud, moderately proud, only a little proud, or not at all proud? Gallup is showing the lowest percentage over the last two decades of people saying that they are extremely proud, only 45%. Um, only 70% say they are extremely or very proud. So these, these numbers have been on a slight downward trend that accelerated in 2017, but did not begin in 2017. Actually, sort of the, the I mean, there was a high watermark shortly after 9-11, but then things kind of leveled off in the like low 80s for extremely and very proud. And then kind of around 2013 is the last data point where it's, you know, before there's there's a decline. So it didn't, the drop did not begin with Trump, but did accelerate Yeah, under de- him. With Democrats, there's a real drop off that's yeah. not offset by a sur- a, you know a comparable surge among republicans so more republicans have become extremely proud in the last few years but it is not that boost that trump boost is not dramatic it's just it's pretty minor but the slump among democrats who feel extremely proud is pretty serious well i think in part it's for republicans there is not a very strong correlation between their views on this question and who is the president Mm. i mean it's lower during the obama era but it's still significantly higher than for any other group that for republicans the idea that liking the president and being proud of the country are two very different things in their minds um, which may be why Republicans are much more like, hey, you can have Trump speak at this thing on the mall. And, you know, that's not those things are separate, right? That you can still you're celebrating the Fourth of July and celebrating America does not have to be wrapped up in who the president is. I can still have pride in my country where for Democrats, the mere fact of Trump being elected, like, did that say something about the country that was so unsettling to them that they go, oh, I'm not proud anymore? Because you really do see a huge shift after Trump is elected on that question that yeah. you, you don't see among Republicans when a Democrat is president. No. I mean, Republicans are basically always higher than Democrats on this measure. Yes. But that does, that's not, I mean, yeah. surprising to no, me no, terribly. No. no, no, it's not surprising. But it's now the, the gap is a yawning chasm. Yeah. And from the, you know, report reporting from the front lines of the millennial beat uh, and the Gen Gen Z beat uh, on the question of how proud are you to be an American? A huge correlation between age and that number. Um, I wonder if it transcends party lines or not. We don't know. uh, You know, I I bet that it would to some extent, Mm -hmm. even though we know younger generations are going to be more politically progressive. That alone does not explain why 24% of those under 30 say they're extremely proud to be an American, but it goes up to like almost two thirds of senior citizens. I mean, there are huge gulfs between the young and the old on pride in the country. Yeah. Well, hey, I saw I bumped into John Delavolpe in the airport. Maybe he oh. should get on it. Let us know. Maybe he'll have the answer to this. The, so I was actually just writing a little uh, 
write up for someone about millennial attitudes on foreign policy. And there was some I dug through some really old polling from the IOP from like before and then just after September 11th. Mm. Like this was Mm -hmm. bad. And I think John Della Volpe was like involved in the poll back 20 years ago. And you know who else is listed on the deck as one of the students involved in producing the poll? Who? Pete Buttigieg. No. (laughs) I swear to you. I was like, what? Oh my God. This is crazy. So yeah. Just goes back to my my question when I asked John Della Volpe when we did a panel with him. I'm like, so when they're like, all the kids in your class, like, help with the questions. Do they want to ask about, like, you know, pot and sex and rock and roll? He's like, no. No. They're Harvard students. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just kidding. (laughs) I don't know why I thought that. (laughs) Anyway, so he's probably thinking about the very thoughtful Pete Buttigieg. Um, Okay, Let's talk about this thing on the mall yes. briefly. So Monmouth did some polling on what people think about it. President Trump intends to address the nation from the Lincoln Memorial. There will be tanks. There will be a rally. It is the White House is saying that it is not political, but this is an unusual step for a president. And we all know when Trump steps up to a microphone. Uh, there have been times like when he went to Normandy where he kind of reads off the prompter and everything's fine. It's unclear that that is what this will be. We shall see. Um, But ahead of the 4th of July events, well, actually, by the time you're listening to this podcast, we probably know the answer. Yes. Um, But how was it, folks? How was it, folks? (laughs) Coming to you from the past. We don't yet know what happened. Um, Just over half, 52 percent of the public say they approve of Trump's intention to address the nation from the Lincoln Memorial. 34 percent disapprove. But very few people have heard about this at all. This may well be more of a like the people who live here in this town and are like, oh, my God, you're going to bring tanks across this bridge that cannot support the weight of tanks. What in the actual heck is going on? Like this may be more of a big this may be more of a D.C. story than an outside of D.C. story. And it's the sort of thing where when you ask independents, 55 percent say they support the president's plan. But again, most haven't heard of it. So in the abstract, the idea of the president giving a speech from a monument on the Fourth of July, like, I don't know, that sounds innocuous on its face. Then again, we don't know what he said yet. There's a whole theme. And we've asked about this occasionally in the Navigator stuff. Like there's this whole theme of like Trump cozies up to dictators. He is fond of the um, pageantry of dictators and of authoritarianism and that this, the speech, the tanks, et cetera, are part, a part of that. You know, when he talks about reporters and all, all these things, it's all kind of part of that shtick that he has. And, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a problem people have with him, which I completely appreciate. And I get, you know, it's not always like people see it. It's some of it you have to kind of follow a little bit more than everybody is following it in order to, you know, to to pay attention to it. And is it the, like, 10th thing that people are mad about or is it, you know, the thing that we should be really worried about because it's a real sign of, you know, something that could kind of tip over into something problematic very quickly? So I think that's where people are when they think about this. But um, but we shall see. Well, on the 4th of July, I'm not going to be at the mall. Um, I don't think I'm going to be in Tacoma Park, but I am You're missing out. probably going to be at a barbecue and given the choice I would choose hamburger 
and so would 50% of Americans. Margie, I mean, I give almost, me your hamburger hot take. I mean, I almost never want a hamburger. I mean, it's just too, it's too much. It's just too much burger. It's too big. I would prefer a hot dog. It's a better medium for, it's just more welcoming to the toppings like than a hamburger kind of dominates whatever else you're going to put you know, what can compete with the burger? I can't you know? disagree with any of these points. Hot dog, you're like, I'm here to share my space with whatever else you have. You know, they're all we're all friends here in this bun together. And um, but the buns obviously has to be good for both of them. If you have a cheap cold bun with your the rest of it, then that's bad, obviously. So I would prefer a hot dog over a hamburger. But I have not had the Impossible Burger, and I am interested because I do like to keep tabs on the vegan and vegetarian options out there. Do you have a position on Arby's response to the Impossible Burger, the merit, no. meat carrot? What? They're like, if you can make meat out of vegetables, well, you can make vegetables out of meat. And they're trying to make a carrot out of meat. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want a meat carrot. That doesn't surprise me. No, I want a carrot carrot. <laughs> so in this poll, 50% of Americans say they would choose a burger versus 10% choose a hot dog if they said, because you could only have one food item on your plate. What about the other people? What to about the other 40%? Unclear. I have not pulled up the full cross tabs. <sighs> um, what else? I mean, I guess like ribs, chicken. Chicken thighs. Chicken thighs are the new chicken breasts. They're the new hotness. Everyone's into the dark meat now. Yeah, no, I like chicken thighs. Chicken thighs are great. I'm, I'm, I am always a chicken thigh person. Um, potatoes salads. No. One in three selected potato salad is the preferred side. That's my least favorite out of everything on this list. Really? Yeah. I mean, I like roasted potatoes with like, you know, olive oil and rosemary and such. I don't like potato salad that's kind of just... Like a like with an ice cream scoop. Oh, that, that's not. That I doesn't do it for me. Salad. I like potatoes and like in many many executions. That sort of like white thing is not. Well, the way you are describing it, yeah. I mean, the use of the phrase, the word "ice cream scoop," yeah, like, right. That's, you're really painting a negative picture. That's, but that's I'm. Some people say yes. That's that's how I think about it. <laughs> are you you're messaging to yeah, me? I am. Oh, anti- you're trying to see if I'm a swing voter on yes, potato salad. I am running the super pack. Potato salad, <laughs> greater potato sign. Salad. <laughs> macaroni salad, potato salad, greater sign. Coleslaw, potato yeah. salad, greater sign. Baked beans. I'm trying to think of a side mm. that I would prefer more than potato salad, and I no, like think of corn one. on the cob is like the is the best. Like, False. what can speak? But what is better than corn on the cob? Grilled with butter, with you anything know, I can eat with a mayonnaise, utensil. with any you know mayonnaise. Yes, with like the that on corn on yes, a cob. Yes, anything. Yes. Oh my god. Yes, I'm do. offended. Not like slathered, but like roasted with covered and oh. thing. Yes. Oh, hold on. There's a thing. No. Yes. Anything. I'm going to put up a poll on Twitter corn right on now. And in the it's five the Mexican minutes before corn this. on the cob. Yes, elote. And it has a little bit of mayonnaise on it. Not like smeared in mayonnaise, just like a little bit of mayonnaise to hold a bunch of stuff on it. The Mexican corn on the cob. Okay. Don't at me if it's not at like. Marcio Mero says she. Eats mayonnaise. Not regularly, but yes. Oh, I just misspelled mayonnaise. Hang on. Yes. Spell check. Mayo. No, I, no I'm writing it out. you got to have the whole word, Richard. <laughs> mayonnaise on corn on the cob sometimes at barbecues. Yeah. I am offended. Am I right or wrong? Add poll. 
<laughs> Kristen is right. That's gross. It you is not with just mayonnaise. There's other things on it: cheese, herbs. It is the it is the binder to add a wealth of other toppings to your lovely grilled corn on the cob. Okay. At a festival, I always want grilled corn. Always over all these things. Twenty three hours left on the poll. By the time you're listening to this, the poll will be done. <laughs> Check my Twitter feed. I will lose this poll. By the I... way, <laughs> there's no way I win this. This is I like... am. I... I'm still processing. I'm still processing. I'm gonna uh, have to show you what I mean because I'm not doing. I'm I mean, just... I'm like not anti mayonnaise. I, I ch- uh, okay. Can we talk about popsicles? Yes, I need to think about something else. Popsicles are popsicles are good. Popsicles, watermelon. But only eleven percent of Americans think popsicles is their favorite dessert on the Fourth of July. Well, that's because no children responded to this poll. Because I could put like you know Benadryl and spinach in a popsicle, and my kids would be like, "Hmm, okay." (laughs) I'm interested. You have my attention. (laughs) In fact, I may do that so they all go right to sleep with. Healthy super greens. Oh, we! I already got. Okay, by the way, uh, one of my my favorite Twitter followers has already responded and said, "Permissible if it's Mexican elote." See, so yeah, guys, I don't know. I don't know about this. It's a real. I've thing. never encountered Mexican food that I didn't like. So, yikes! Yeah. Think okay. it over. Think about it. Okay. Imagine the possibilities. If you could have a load, instead of a loaded baked potato, you could have a loaded corn on the cob. How would you get things to stay on its tubular shape? You would need mayonnaise. <laughs> that is that is my that is my life lesson. Okay. So what else did we learn? That's this it. Week? <laughs> oh, Tacoma Park. If you want a tank free way to show your pride for whatever it is you're proud about. We accept all kinds of pride in Tacoma Park. Tank-free, organic, progressive festival. So folks should come, although it will be too late. But you will, if you were there, you had an incredible time. If you were not there, you should come next year. It is lovely. Um, what else did we learn? That's uh, People overestimate the percentage yes. of Americans that are in the LGBT community. Uh, declines in pride in America. Yep. Anything else? And, you know, some new qualifying polls. You may see, you know, a different set of folks on the debate stage at the end of July. And uh, with 80 votes it. cast in my Twitter poll. What? Already? Seven. I have a lot of people that follow me because of my dog. 76% say Kristen is right. 24% say Margie is right. Granted, this poll is at the moment being fielded to my Twitter followers. Yes. So it is not necessarily a representative sample of sure. all people. All right. Well, I'm going to have to retweet it. You have it. to retweet it to get some of your crew yes. participating in the poll. And I'm going to have to explain what it means. Because your folks are like, you know, we side with you, Kristen. We're ride or die. Whatever it is you just said, we're we're with you. I, I have, there's, <laughs> there's somebody, uh, mayo on street corn is fairly common. Yes. But then someone responds with the correct response, which is, is butter broken? <laughs> that's good, actually. That's uh, pretty funny. <laughs> that's, that is my official position on the topic. Is some, what's wrong with butter? I'm not opposed to it. I don't think di- it has the quite the glue the glues skills, the gluey. Mm, mm, the glue <laughs> skills. That plus 
See, if you're I, so opposed to mayo, I don't know. Like, this what is, is the, most, the ingredient in potato is, salad? I don't I'm know. I'm sorry, the, I'm not letting this go. No, I'm sorry, Richard. We're supposed to be out this of the studio. Is the most, I just can't. This is the biggest defense I've ever made for mayo in my life, and <laughs> it's never going to happen again. I don't, I've ne- it's very uncharacteristic of me. This is the only place I really feel like it has to exist is on a Mexican elote. That's it. What's on the trend line this week? Uh, this is going to be a best of episode. Ah. Last week, I got to talk to some folks out from the Aspen Ideas oh, yeah. Festival. Did you, were you like a roving reporter? I Well, I wound up just roving in like the game room at the Hotel Jerome where I could find a quiet spot. <laughs> but it was really nice because our setup was the setup they like sent me from Sirius was exactly the same stuff we used to use to tape the podcast on back ah. in the day. So I knew how to set it up because I was like, we used to have to do this Maybe. before Richard came into our Maybe the everything serious and watch the same YouTube videos that I did <laughs> circa 2015. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, everybody. Bye.